0: All right, so this morning, I want to talk to you about the three dimensions of sonship. So, when it comes to our identity in Christ, next slide, please. We can only grow if we discover the profound importance of who we are in Christ. Stop there. We can only grow if we discover the profound importance of who we are in Christ. I want you to think about the statements. You see, many of us have accepted that we are children of God. Amen? But a child messes things up more often than not. So do you want to stay a child? No, the whole point of New Testament Christianity is for you to grow up. Stop being a child. But just because you grow up doesn't mean you stop being God's child. Am I right? But growing up is important because if Jesus didn't grow up, he would never have gone to the cross. If Jesus had stayed a child, he would never have demonstrated what it looks like to be a son of God. So in order for us to go on this journey of following Jesus, which I believe we have Jesus followers in the house. Amen? If we want to go on this journey of following Jesus, we can't just look at the life of Jesus and put it outside of the paradigm of who we are. We can't say, oh, but that was Jesus. We have to say, oh, but Jesus lives here. And if Jesus lives here, then the influence of that spirit, the same spirit that Jesus had, is upon your life. And if the same influence that was upon his life is upon your life, then there are very little limits to someone like that. Hello? You see, a mature son doesn't allow the circumstances to dictate who they are. They allow who they are to dictate to the circumstances. They don't allow what's going on around them to form them. They allow what is on the inside of them to put pressure on what is around them. The whole idea of God's kingdom invading the earth is through each and every single one of you as significant as you are and as insignificant as you might think you are because you are significant to God even though the enemy keeps trying to make you believe that you are not as significant as you are. I don't care what role you play, whether you click a button to the next slide, whether you pack a chair, whether you clean a carpet, whether you make a poster, no matter what role you play, you are important to the kingdom of God. And there is not just one role you can play. There are many roles you can play. The only difference is, are you willing or are you not willing? Because God won't force you to do anything. You see, many of us have allowed the enemy to lie to us and tell us we can only be a certain way. And so in doing so, we have assumed only a third of our capability. And so I want to teach you today about the three dimensions of sonship, so that you can understand the depth of it. But before I do that, for those of you who might not yet know, I want to lay the groundwork for why we talk the way we do about sonship. Because God is so smart that in spite of how badly we've messed things up, He can still make it right. And so we need to look at what God's original plan is. And many of you have heard this before, but it's definitely important to be reminded. Right. Next slide. Genesis one, verse 26. It says, and then God said, not big Pompey's. Who said? Okay. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I mean, this is one of the most profound statements you can find in the Bible. Because right here, you answer the question, where do I come from? Where do I come from? I don't come from my, my father and my mother. I ultimately come from God. Because God breathed out Adam into a physical body. And that was the beginning of everything. So I come from the very image and likeness of God. Come on, that's amazing. That means that where my origin story is from, the Creator of everything, the being that has no pre-existence or fore-existence, because He is forever. There's no beginning to Him and no end to Him, because He just is. You come from Him. You're not a mistake. You never were, and no matter how many mistakes you make, you aren't the mistakes you made. You are who he says you are. Very radical, different look at what the enemy tries to tell you about who you are, is it not? And I know because we all personally deal with having to push back on the enemy's lies on a daily basis because you make mistakes, don't look at me like you also holy, I know you make mistakes. This is not a Presbyterian church. Amen. No, they don't make mistakes, never. And then he says, Let us make them in our image and after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And if you look under a microscope, biological critters creep. Die critterkis, that's a mark. Okay? They creep. You have authority over all creeps. Hallelujah. So the Bible says you were created in God's image and likeness for the very purpose of having rulership over these things in the world. That means God created you with the sole purpose of being a ruler on the earth. To rule. That is why so many people try and fulfill this truth in a perverted way because they try and do it without God. And you can't rule without God because you have to be submitted to God in order to rule. You have to surrender to who you are in Him. You have to come into agreement with what He says about you if you're going to rule the way He intended you to rule, the way you were designed to rule, which is in accordance with His image and His likeness. See, The image and likeness of God is directly connected to the operation of dominion. You can't have dominion without God. Then you end up with dictatorships and dominance. And often those people end up only controlling other people. And that list doesn't include people other than creeps. You guys know I'm joking about the creeps part. Just to clarify. Okay, for the record. (laughs) So it's very important that we understand this. Because either you're going to believe that the sum total of your experience in your life that might contradict this statement is more true than the Word of God, or you're going to decide today, no, no matter what I've experienced, the Word is true. And your only way you will live a different life is if you decide to line up with God's Word. You see, the very important thing is, many of us want to resist the devil and we want him to flee. Am I correct? But do you know that there's step one, everyone misses it, it's called submit to God. Step one, submit to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you know why? Because you can't resist what you're submitted to. If you're submitted to the devil, how can you resist the devil? You have to submit to God so that you're now opposed to the devil, not in agreement with the devil. Amen? Next slide, please. So God created mankind to rule. Next slide, please. And God crowned mankind with glory and honor. But mankind... And we're talking here of mankind because I don't want you ladies to think that it's just a one-sided thing. They both sinned. So Adam and Eve, both of them, were mankind. Mankind was disobedient. Next slide. Mankind was deceived into disobeying God through a deception. So listen, did it matter that Eve was deceived? In other words, because she was deceived... Was there no consequences to what happened? Or did her deception still have consequences, even though she was deceived? Now, if you look at the world around you, you'll see that her deception still had consequences. Isn't that right? Jesus still had to come and pay the price for the deception that Eve had. Isn't that not right? And so the reality is, even though a person might not know that what they're doing is going to cause a major problem, they are still responsible for what they're doing. Just because you're deceived doesn't mean you're excused. Your deception doesn't excuse you. Which is why you have to be vigilant, because the basic premise of deception is that you don't know you're being deceived. Because if you knew, then you wouldn't do it. Isn't that right? So if you stay vigilant and you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, He will begin to show you where deception lies. But if you come to this place in your heart where you feel like no one can really teach you anything, you will never learn, not even from the Holy Spirit. Because your cup is full. Next slide, please. So from the beginning, God had a plan to restore our destiny and our purpose. The very destiny and purpose that was taken away from us in the Garden of Eden through man's disobedience was the restoration plan of why Jesus had come to the earth. You'll remember the verse where he says, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the snake, and he will bite his heel, but he will crush his head, you all know this particular prophetic word right in the beginning in Genesis. It's the first promise God makes to Adam and Eve in spite of their disobedience. The promise of redemption. The promise of taking back what had been lost. So from the, be- from the very beginning, God's plan was to actually bring us back into destiny and purpose. But do you know what the biggest problem is? Was when people lose sight of their destiny and their purpose is that they don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it looks like. You know, God can say, I want you to be righteous and holy, and you can go study out the word righteous and holy, and you can come to various different conclusions about what it means to be righteous and holy, and go study it out for yourself. There's an idea within the Hebrew concept of holiness, which is not just to be sinless, It's actually got to be with drawing closer and closer to God from a place of where you need God to a place where God needs you. Can you believe that? As you draw closer into holiness, God can depend on you more. Whereas in the beginning, you are depending primarily on God. It's coming from the outer courts into the inner courts, into the Holy of Holies. And Christ places us in the Holy of Holies, without any of our own merit. But if we don't understand what has actually happened, we can't live it out. There's no reality to it for us because it's foreign to us. Am I right? And so the enemy tries hard to try and make concepts foreign to us so that we will not Accurately relate to these concepts so that those concepts will not speak to our hearts the way that they're intended to. Next slide, please. So let's go look at how God restores his plan because God has got one plan, it's you, and he hasn't changed his mind. Next slide, please. John 14. Verse 7 to 12. Can you guys see that up there? Now, you guys heard this last week. So please give me a chance to also say it. That's it's okay with you. So John 14 verse 7, it says, If you had known me, Jesus is speaking, you would have known my Father also. So Jesus is saying that if you know me, you know the Father. Why? Because Jesus was the exact imprint of the character and nature of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 and 4. He was the exact imprint of the character and nature of God. If you looked at Jesus, you saw the Father. So Jesus says to them, if you know me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him, the Father, and have seen him, the Father. So Jesus has this idea that he is in such union with his Father that there's no separation between him and his Father. He's literally saying to them, from now on, actually, you don't even see me anymore, because all I'm doing is to be like the Father. So here's Jesus, and is telling this to them. Next slide, please. And then he gets asked the question by Philip, and he says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, and I want you to watch, just notice what he says here. He says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Jesus has just gone from speaking on behalf of the Father to speaking as the Father. So His his unity with the Father is so close that He doesn't even see Himself. He sees only the Father. And He's answering Philip As if the Father is standing there speaking. This is the closeness of the union that God is calling us to. This level of unification means a complete surrender of your own will to the will of God. Of your own ideas to the ideas of God and to your own way of thinking to the thinking of God. Which means you have to believe that you can have God's thoughts. In 1 Corinthians 2, it's very clear that we've not been given the spirit of this world, but we've been given the spirit of God, so that we may know the things freely given to us. At the end of that chapter, it says, we have the mind of Christ. Which, by the way, is the mind of the spirit which means every single person in this room has the potential and capacity to know the thoughts of God, to see in a situation what God wants done in that situation, not what man would do. All right, thank you. Okay, so next verse. Next verse. Oh, okay. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Next one. The word that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So I want you to really understand this thing of God. Jesus is saying the Father is in me. He is in me. He's doing his works through me. Jesus said I will, you will be in me and I will work through you. So the same mandate that was on Jesus where the Father was in him and working through him is the same mandate that you're going to see that God has called you to. Watch. It's exactly the same. Next next slide, please. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will they do because I'm going to the Father. So when Jesus goes, something's coming. And we know that that thing is the Holy Spirit. So, next slide, please. So, Jesus came to reveal who the Father is. Jesus came to show us who we are. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Would you all agree with those statements? Okay, next slide, please. So, now, he says, In John 17, verse 16 to 22, Jesus is praying a prayer. Now, this is in the middle of his prayer. And he's praying to the Father about Everything that's about to happen, because he's on his way to Golgotha, where he's going to be crucified. And he's making this prayer, and he's talking about his disciples. And then he says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So there's no difference between the way that the Father has sent the Son to the way the Son has sent the sons. Next verse. I do not ask for these only. So now there he was talking to the disciples, and then he says, I do not ask for these only. He's talking about those who are with him, the disciples. Am I right? So I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Are you guys following me so far? This is such an awesome, awesome revelation. When you grab this. For all those so that we may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. The same way in which I am in you, let them be in me and I be in them. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is doing this because he knows that without it, you cannot see the things that need to be seen so that the signs that are meant for unbelievers to draw them into the kingdom wouldn't operate. You need to be in Him and He needs to be in you for those signs to operate. And you have to anchor this in your life because it isn't something that you earn by good deeds. It's something that you receive by faith because it's part of the finished work. So there is never a time where you are not ready. There is only times where you think you are not ready. And when you think you are not ready, then you stop being ready. But you were created to be ready. Not the surname, the action. So let's move on to the next slide. So in verse, um, in the next verse says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Next slide, please. Now in John 20, Now I'm taking you through different portions of text. You see where Jesus identifies with the Father. You see where Jesus prays for for the same kind of mode of operation that was in his life for his disciples and those who would hear. And then in John 20, Jesus comes back and he says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. It's a very nice thing for someone to say. If they just show up in the middle of the room, don't worry, calm down. (laughs) Amen. Next verse, please. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It's an absolute conclusive bedrock for you to stand on when it comes to what God has called you to. God has called you to live the life of Christ. He's called you into the life of Christ, and He's called you to live the life of Christ in your family, wherever you are. Amen? Next slide, please. Next slide. Next one. Yes, please. Thank you boy. So Jesus was one with the Father. Jesus asked the Father to send us as He was sent. And after His resurrection He confirmed our calling. Is it clear? It says that anything be established by three witnesses. Do you think we've done it? All right. next please. So our purpose and destiny in Christ. Now let's understand a little bit more about what this means. This being called as Jesus was called. Because I think a lot of you have received at least some kind of teaching on the concept of being called in the same way that Jesus was being called. But what does it look like? Because we look at the life of Jesus and we kind of just see Him doing stuff, but you have to actually see the motivation behind things and how the different roles operate, how Jesus operates differently in different circumstances to bring the glory of God into every situation. Okay? So... Next slide, please. Now, we've covered this text, so we're going to skip it. But basically, what I want to point out in Ephesians 4 is that all of these giftings here that you see, they are not here to be glorified. These giftings here are not glorification giftings. Ooh, Mr. Apostle. That's not what they're here for. They're here to serve you so that you can be sent out to do the work of an apostle. The evangelist is here to serve you so that you can be sent out to evangelize. So please write that I'm not an evangelist thing on your stomach and write it off. Because it ain't true. Everyone here should be an evangelist. Have you ever told someone about your favorite thing? No one's putting their hands up, but everyone has. Which means that, sorry, you did, well done. <laughs> so so, so the reality is that the truth of the matter is we all talk about what we love or what we hate because we hate when something that we love is being destroyed, am I right? And you do it, do you do it because someone tells you to or do you do it because you love to? Oh, so then why don't you talk about Jesus? I thought you love him. Why is it so hard? Or do you love being accepted by people more than you do love Jesus? Yeah, I think so. And it's something we have to work on, guys. This is not a condemnation thing. It's something you have to work on. I'm pointing it out because sometimes we are so blindsided by the fact that we're doing it that we don't even realize we're doing it. What do we call that? Deception. Isn't that right? The enemy deceives you into thinking that you don't have a voice. That you can't speak because you'll be persecuted. Oh, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Welcome to the club. If you live a life to avoid persecution, you'd have to live ungodly in Christ Jesus. Persecution will come. Done. It will be there. Which means that you have to have the fortitude of the strength of the Holy Spirit through your relationship with God to go through anything because your life is founded on a rock, not on the sand. Because storms will come. But it's really about how you weather those storms that shows whether you're settled in Christ or whether you're settled in your own ideas. And the wisdom of man is not the wisdom of God they two very different things. But a man who is inspired by God carries the wisdom of God. Amen? All right, so let's just move past, go next slide. Next slide, next slide, next slide. Yes, there. So we're going to expand our identity in Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And what I want you to understand is out of this text. Go to the next slide, please. Okay, Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 4. It says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay? So a prophet speaks on behalf of God. Am I correct? Yes? Okay. So, but in these last days, Jesus has spoken, right, to us. Why? Because it says in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So are we living in the last days? I believe Steve made it very clear that we're living in the last days. Am I right? And he's right. Amen. If you don't feel a sense of urgency to get the gospel out there, to expand the kingdom, um, then you're not actually being realistic about what's going on around us. Amen. And so Jesus has now spoken. So Jesus acted as a prophet, did he not? He, bring, he brought the desired word of God. He said, I only say what I hear my father saying. Am I right? So Jesus spoke as a prophet. So as a son, he had a prophetic role. Then it says, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Next slide, please. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Yeah, it shows us that Jesus is the fingerprint of God's character and nature. If you look at Jesus, you see the Father. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. That's what a priest does. Next, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, king. Having become as much more superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus operated as a prophet, priest, king. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find out that there are only really three major character um, categories of people that God ever anointed. Prophets, priests, and kings. Other than objects and ornaments and things like that, I'm talking about people. And you'll see that those roles are all found in Christ. He comes declaring the kingdom of God is here. Then he becomes the very sacrifice and the priest who will apply that sacrifice. Because it says that we have a priest forever. Isn't writing right in Hebrews? We can read about it where it talks about him being a priest forever. Why? Because he is constantly making our case for us in heaven. So he's a priest. But he's not a priest by bloodline. He's priest by an oath. God made an oath that he would be a priest forever. Which means Jesus is born from a bloodline of kings, but he is by oath a priest. And he is a prophet. So you see the prophet priest king combination of the nature and identity of a son. You guys tracking with me so far? Okay, next slide please. So Yaret says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 1 Peter 2, 9. And that literally means a royal priest is someone who is a king and a priest. So that means that all of you sitting here who are in Christ, you are all royal priests. You are all kings and priests. And the prophetic word from Joel that Peter declares on Acts is that all people will have the Holy Spirit poured out on them and they shall all prophesy. Which means that every single believer is able to prophesy. So you are, when you are born again, the function of a prophet, priest, king is in your DNA because it's the DNA of Christ. It's a three dimensional aspect of sonship. A prophet, priest, and king. All right. Let's just go forward, Sebastian. So the prophet, I want to talk a little bit about the prophet, but I'm running out of time here. So let me. Okay. Let's just go through this. Prophet, next, next slide. This might be some of your strengths. In other words, you might feel strong in this area. Your strength as a prophet is preserving truth and facts. So it says there... The strength is preserving truth and facts. There's some of you here that you have that really strongly, like you can't tolerate people lying or bending things. You you have that in you. You have a strong sense of right versus wrong. You're willing to say hard things, kind of like I'm talking to myself. Um, Next Next slide. You have a sense of urgency. You get a strong positive or negative reaction from people. Boy, do I know that. Okay, so so this might be you, like you might identify with the, with this particular person, all right? And And that is one aspect of who we are in Christ. And then there's another aspect of who we are in Christ, and some of you might feel strong in this area. Priest, next slide please. Your strength is caring for people. You have a strong sense of mercy, empathy, and compassion towards people. Next slide, please. You are willing to walk with hurting people. And you have a sense of patience for people in the process. More normally than what prophets have. Can any of you identify with this? Okay, next slide, please. And you find that most people appreciate you and hurting people find you. And this is just one facet of who you are in Christ. But this is some of us lean towards one of these more than the other. Are you with me? We, we lean because in our tendency, our kind of makeup, is that we will gravitate towards what we are generally better at, right? And so those aspects in Christ that we are better at, it's easy for us there. But in the other areas, we, we just leave those. You're like, well, that's not me. Well, no, 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 no. If you're in Christ, that is you. It is you. You just, need, you just need to work harder there. Amen? And, and then the next, the next one, just quickly wrapping up. King, next slide please. It says your strength is stewarding resources. You have a strong sense of responsibility for excellence. You like to plan, architect and forecast. Next one. You don't mind making decisions and giving directives. You're the guy who says, who's going to be in charge? Me. I'll be in charge. I'll do it. And I even know how to do it. You know? You find that some people struggle to relate to you. Why? Because you just, you're very rare. Those people tend to be very rare and anonymous. But I find that we all have parts of these things. Am I correct? We all have parts of these things. And so, just because of time, I want to also encourage you to take these ideas and realize that these are different aspects of who you are in Christ. There is a time to be um, to operate in the prophetic, and there's a time to operate in the priestly, and there's a time to operate in the kingly, and you have to understand when and where these things should operate as you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You'll find Jesus being very kingly with the, prophet, with the Pharisees who brought the woman who was caught in adultery, but then He's very priestly towards the woman herself. So you'll you'll see he has different facets when he's training his disciples. Sometimes you'll think, "Geez, if Jesus spoke to me like that, I'd probably leave his church. But the reality is that no, Jesus had to be that way in that circumstance because he cared about the outcome for them. And so to understand the dynamics between these roles, you have to understand the life of Jesus and how he used them and what love motivates you to do. Love isn't trying to keep a relationship for the sake of the benefit of that relationship. Love wants to grow that relationship, even if it means sacrificing the relationship. And so today, if you feel like you've, um, you're strong in an area, but you want to, you want to really tell God today, you know what? I am, Um, I'm wanting to grow in the other areas of my life. I'm wanting to pursue the priestly if I'm not very priestly. I want to pursue the kingly if I'm not very kingly. I want to pursue the prophetic if I'm not very prophetic. I want you to form the fullness of Christ in me. Then please stand. Do you want to say something? So so I'll just um I'm just going to pray for all of you is that okay? And we're just going to make a commitment in our hearts this morning, right? We're going to commit in our hearts to be deliberate about the areas that we know that we are recurrent. Like um I am I'm learning to be more priestly because I'm very kingly and very prophetic. So if you've ta- if you've tasted the edge of my sword, I'm sorry. The, I don't really mean to hurt you. It's not my intention at all. But what I want you to understand is that we all have these different developed aspects where we have to develop the other ones as the Holy Spirit encourages us, right? All right, just close your eyes. Father, I just thank you for every single person here this morning. As this word has gone forth, that it will bring about a radical commitment to growing into the fullness of who Christ is in them. That every role will become serious to them. That they will know in what situation to execute what type of blend between the prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly into every situation. And Father, I thank you for divine wisdom. I thank you for divine instruction. And I thank you for a, a knowing that they are loved and accepted by you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.